0: Another episode of Pem Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine podcast. As always, I'm your host Brad Soboleski, and today we're going to talk about positively painful private parts, otherwise known as acute testicular pain. We will review such topics as testicular torsion, torsion of the appendix testis and appendix epididymis, epididymitis, orchitis, and more. So let's go. First and foremost, you're going to want to know about the acuity of the testicular pain. Did the pain start gradually or was it abrupt? More abrupt pain should worry you about testicular torsion, but could also suggest epididymitis or torsion of the appendix testis or epididymis. Was there trauma? Most patients remember getting kicked in the privates, but sometimes it could be minor trauma during sporting events. You want to know if there's been a change in size. This could be due to increased testicular volume, or fluid in the scrotal sac itself. You also wanna know if a patient's sexually active, and if they are, obviously think about epididymitis and orchitis. It's also important to ask about urinary symptoms, hesitancy, urgency, frequency, and dysuria. When it comes to physical exam, you're gonna wanna have the patient standing up. This gives you a better assessment of the anatomy and any asymmetry. Definitely get a chaperone and respect the patient's privacy by closing doors and curtains. The testes are normally symmetric, but the left hangs lower. As torsion occurs, venous outflow is the first thing to be compromised, so you'll see unilateral swelling. A testicle is normally oriented in a vertical position. The bell-clapper deformity is a horizontally-oriented testicle, which is due to incomplete posterior anchoring of the gubernaculum. It is a finding that occurs in 1 out of 125 males, and it peaks around adolescence. It's usually bilateral, and it can predispose you to torsion. It's often an incidental finding discovered on routine physical examination. The cremasteric reflex is elicited by gentle vertical stroking of the inner thigh, which will cause elevation of the ipsilateral hemiscrotum. The absence is concerning for torsion, but it's not pathognomonic. And a study from Paul in 2004, in children under 11 years, the sensitivity was only 75%, while boys greater than 11 years had a sensitivity of 100%. Also, don't forget to examine the inguinal folds, penis and urethra, the pubic hair, abdomen, and femoral pulses. So let's start by talking about testicular torsion. Time is testicle. If you're worried about testicular torsion, get help. Don't send the patron to ultrasound out of your department an experienced eye to the bedside, and a rapid call to urology. So the sequence of events that leads to testicular torsion is that the testicle twists on the spermatic cord, which leads to venous compression, edema of the testicle and cord, then arterial occlusion, and finally ischemia. The risk is 1 in 4,000 for males age under 25. There's a bimodal distribution with rates peaking in the neonatal period, which I won't talk about in this podcast. That's mostly in your utero, and then again during puberty. Two-thirds of cases occur between the ages of 12 and 18 years, and it's thought to be due to increasing testicular volume. The bell-clamper deformity, as I alluded to earlier, is an increased risk factor for the development of torsion. So the classic presentation of testicular torsion begins with the abrupt onset of pain, with most cases being recognized in under 12 hours. You often have associated nausea, vomiting, and referred lower abdominal pain. In a retrospective review from 1998, the author Kaddish, only 8% had pain prior to the main episode. So that is, they didn't experience any pain, the pain came on all of a sudden, and they were diagnosed with torsion. On exam, the ipsilateral scrotum is edematous. It can be red, purplish, or dusky in color, depending on the length of time since the onset of symptoms. The testis is tender, elevated, and can have a horizontal lie. The cremaster reflex is absent in many cases, but again, this is not diagnostic. Testicular torsion should be a clinical diagnosis ideally. If you suspect it, call a urologist as soon as possible. Ultrasound is not perfect, has a sensitivity of 69 to 100% and a specificity of 77 to 100% depending on which study you read. Treatment is detorsion of the affected testis if it's viable and fixation with a technique called orchiopexy of both testicles, which can reduce the risk of subsequent torsion. Now there is a technique called manual detorsion. It's only indicated if you don't have a surgeon readily available. And in contrast to the traditional teaching, not all torsion rotates towards the thigh or laterally. Only about two thirds do that, with another third rotating medially. So here's the technique. Obviously with sedation or analgesia in place, the testis is grasped and rotated once or twice 360 degrees laterally or towards the thigh. Success is indicated if pain improves and if a Doppler ultrasound or a Doppler probe reveals arterial pulsations. If the pain worsens when you try to rotate laterally, well, twist it the other direction. The patient still needs to go to the operating room as soon as possible for orchiopexy, even if you are successful with manual detorsion. The viability rates for testicular torsion within 4 to 6 hours are 100%. 12 to 24 hours, 20%, and greater than 24 hours, 0%. Time is testicle. Treatment is detorsion of the affected testis and fixation of both testes with orchiopexy. I cannot stress that enough. Males with a history of testicular torsion may have an increased risk of infertility even when a viable detorsed testis is left in the scrotum, possibly because of some immune-mediated injury and anti-sperm antibodies. There can be cases of intermittent torsion, which are challenging to diagnose. We know that 80% of these patients have a bell clapper deformity. Pain is initially brief and quickly resolves within minutes. Some have nausea and vomiting, and other times the pain can awake them from sleep, but there's no significant clinical characteristics. All right, so now on to torsion of the appendix testis and the appendix epididymis. So these little nubbins that hang off the testis and the epididymis are remnants of the Mullerian system for the appendix testis and the Wolfian system for the appendix epididymis. They often will twist and necrose in boys between the age of 7 and 12, so grade schoolers. The initial pain is severe because this little nubbin of tissue becomes ischemic. Which leads to infarction and necrosis you can see a reactive hydrocele or some general swelling but the pathognomonic physical exam finding which isn't always there is the blue dot sign so in a well-lit environment lifting the testicle against the skin you can see a faint but well demarcated blue spot against the skin of the scrotum so if you see a blue dot sign in the right age patient you've made the diagnosis if you are not sure get an ultrasound the pain's expected to last 5 to 10 days and will be most intense for the first 2 to 3 days. Conservative management includes analgesics, rest and scrotal support. Operations are rarely needed. Inguinal hernias in the pediatric emergency department are most often seen in little babies. So hydroceles and inguinal hernias occur when the processus vaginalis is open and the contents can bulge into the scrotum. An indirect inguinal hernia is what you'll see most commonly in kids. This is where bowel herniates through the internal inguinal canal. Communicating hydrocele just contains peritoneal fluid, and you can actually also even have a hydrocele of the cord when the processus valginalis is only patent in the middle of the cord but closed on either end. Most patients with hydroceles will not have pain, and the vast majority that are seen in babies disappear by 12 months in kids as i mentioned earlier most often you will see indirect inguinal hernias direct inguinal hernias are usually only seen in children after a child's had an indirect hernia repaired femoral hernias are exceedingly rare in kids inguinal hernias occur in about 1 to 5% of newborns but 9 to 11% of preemies boys are 3 to 4 times more likely than girls almost all of the hernias that you see in the emergency department are incarcerated So, incarceration is a hernia that cannot be reduced by easy manipulation. An incarcerated hernia may or may not be strangulated, which is vascular compromise of the contents of the hernia. An incarcerated hernia can become strangulated in as little as two hours and can lead to necrosis and bowel perforation. So hernias in the outpatient setting are just a reducible scrotal bulge. But in the ED, you may have a fussy baby with belly distension and an incarcerated hernia. On exam, you'll feel a hemiscrotal mass. The testis, or the hemiscrotum, can be red to dark blue due to venous congestion. Plain x-rays and labs are unhelpful. Ultrasound is 93% specific, but generally this is a clinical diagnosis. Reducible hernias, or an intermittent mass, can be referred to surgery, but an incarcerated hernia needs reduction as soon as possible. So here is one manual reduction technique that I recommend. So before you actually press on the herniated tissue, Place the patient in a Trendelenburg position, that's the head down one, and place ice over the hernia. Definitely give pain medicines, fentanyl or morphine. Then, after about 10 minutes or so of Trendelenburg, ice, and the pain medicines kicked in, you want to apply pressure along the proximal inguinal canal with one hand, while the other hand milks the gas and fluid contents out of the incarcerated bowel with gentle pressure. This can take up to five minutes. You actually feel the gas and fluid kind of burp back in. Once the air and fluid is out of the herniated bowel, you're going to have to reduce the rest of the bowel itself with distal pressure, pushing the tip up through and into the inguinal canal. If you can't reduce, call surgery. Incarcerated hernias are a surgical emergency until they can be reduced. And remember, in as little as two hours, an incarcerated hernia can become strangulated. In the patient who has had an incarcerated hernia reduced, they will need a period of observation and often admission to the hospital. Alright, let's move on to epididymitis. Any part of the male reproductive tract can hurt. So one of the more common locations for pain in the pediatric emergency department is the epididymis, or as I have referred to it in the past, the mullet of the testicle. So you can easily isolate and palpate a swollen and tender epididymis. The testis is going to have a normal lie with a present cremaster reflex, and approximately half of patients with epididymis will also have scrotal edema. Preen sign or elevation of the hemiscrotum reducing pain, is sometimes seen, but not very sensitive or specific. There can also be associated urinary symptoms like dysuria, hesitancy, and urgency if the patient has a concomitant UTI or urethritis. First, you want to assess whether the patient is sexually active. Chlamydia and gonorrhea rule the day here. Otherwise, E. coli is the most common bacteria cause. But you might be surprised to hear that most cases of epididymitis, especially in prepubertal boys, don't have an easily identifiable proximate infectious etiology. So you can tell patients, well, it's probably a virus. I mean, remember when mumps was a thing? But we actually don't know. There's also an association with mycoplasma. That's limited to case series. And even minor trauma can cause the epididymis to become inflamed and sore. You can make the diagnosis clinically, but if you're not sure, obtain an ultrasound. It's going to show increased blood flow. Any sexually active male should have testing for STDs, which includes HIV and syphilis, and then treat empirically or wait on your GC and chlamydial DNA studies. Uh, in my practice, and that of many of my colleagues, we will start a patient on a course of doxycycline if they're sexually active and have epididymitis. pre patients with normal urinalysis and no urinary symptoms do not need antibiotics. However, if they have a UA that is concerning for UTI and they have urinary symptoms, treat them with 10 days of Bactrim. Additional treatment recommendations include rest, NSAIDs, scrotal elevation, and avoiding exacerbating activities like sexual intercourse or masturbation. Before I wrap things up, I wanted to touch on a few more causes of testicular pain that you might see in the emergency department. First up, testicular trauma. Generally, the patient knows that this happens. It's a rip or tear in the tunica albuginea, which leads to extrusion of testicular contents, like the seminiferous tubules, inside the scrotum. Blunt trauma is more likely to cause testicular rupture than penetrating. If you've got penetrating trauma, you need to make sure whether or not the dartos fascia is violated. If it is, or if you're not sure what that is, look it up and talk to urology. Orchitis is often secondary to epididymitis so similar causes like chlamydia, gonorrhea, or E. coli, but it can also be caused by mumps, brucellosis, and more. The pain of bad orchitis is severe, and patients can have hematuria and or hematospermia, which really freaks boys out. It must be distinguished from torsion since there's also significant swelling and pain. On an ultrasound, you'll see increased blood flow to the affected testis. In Henox-Schonlein purpura, scrotal swelling is often the first presenting symptom and can be painful. If you don't see the other associated lesions, still get a urinalysis to look for hematuria and proteinuria and make sure the patient's blood pressure is okay. Varicoceles are generally not painful, and they really do feel like that class of bag of worms along the spermatic cord. They're more common on the left, and they're usually diagnosed clinically. Other things that can cause pain include spermatocele or epididymal cysts. This is a swelling of the epididymis that may be filled with sperm or just fluid. If they are painful and inflamed, surgical excision is warranted. Testicular cancer is classically painless. It's the most common solid tumor in males 15 to 35. Remember that the normal testis feels like a hard-boiled egg without the shell. If you feel a hard lump in the testicle, it's cancer until proven otherwise. Rapidly growing tumors, like germ cell tumors, can hemorrhage or infarct, and that becomes painful. Referred pain can lead to pain in the hemiscrotum or testis. And the two most common causes that you need to be aware of are retrocecal appendicitis and kidney stones. Both of these can lead to pain that's referred to the generals. All right, so let's wrap things up with some take-home points. Time is testicle If you think that it's testicular torsion, the treatment is to get a urologist to perform surgical reduction as fast as possible. If you are nowhere near a surgeon, manual detorsion is an option. Trying laterally first, and if that fails, immediately. Surgery is still needed afterwards. The survival rates can be 100% if you identify and treat torsion within four to six hours, but the rates drop precipitously and are thought to be 0% if it's been going on greater than 24 hours. In any male with abdominal pain, you must remember to do a genitourinary exam. If you're uncertain of the diagnosis and you don't think it's torsion, an ultrasound is your imaging test of choice. Labs that may be helpful include urinalysis and urine culture, plus sexually transmitted disease testing for symptomatic patients or those at risk. All right, so that's all that I've got for acute testicular pain. You can find more great educational content at PEMblog.com. Follow me on Twitter at PEMtweets and leave feedback on the blog, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your audio content. Until next time, this has been Brad Soboleski for PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast.